Hey everybody, welcome to Heterodox Americana. This is a show about thinking outside the box and examining the conventional wisdom that informs how we think and shapes how we see the world around us. The question that we're ultimately trying to get at here is, how do our unexamined ideas impact our ability to thrive as human beings? And it's our intention to unpack some of these ideas, take a fresh heterodox perspective that hopefully leads us somewhere new. My name is Raphael Freeman, and I'm one of your hosts. And I'm Angie Backus, another one of your hosts. So as we say in the, in the opening to the show, this is certainly a show where we try to examine the ideas uh, that kind of prevent us from thriving. And today I'd like to see what are some of those ideas that, that kind of stand in our way or some ideas that we have that affect uh, the way that we do relationships. Um, that make our relationships suck. And you know, maybe you maybe your relationship doesn't suck and that's fine, but I think what I, I'd really like to explore today is, uh, do we have ideas that, that, that kind of impede uh, the thriving that we have inside of, of relationships? And mm-hmm. since this is certainly your wheelhouse, uh, this is what you, I know you've seen a lot over the years, what would you say are the top kind of reasons that ideas that people have that stand in the way of them having like really really thriving relationships mm. okay so here we go right it's like jeopardy like <laughs> that's right. asking that's right top reasons why relationships suck i guess that's family feud then you would like look at it on the board that would be family feud um i wanted to start with perhaps um what i think may be a main reason of why a relationship might suck and then splinter off from there. Um, and I was thinking primarily intimate relationships, uh, you know, partnering. But I think it could be true for lots of relationships, friendships, or even parenting. Um, one of the things that I've noticed, and I'll try to see if I can explain this to, in a way that makes sense, is that oftentimes what start, what has happened is that we develop this cultural idea of what a relationship should look like. Um, you know, there are so many books out there. Like kind of like whatever a normal relationship is in the culture. Yeah, and how we've been kind of programmed around um, how it should be good, like what makes it good. Um, you know, there there's these books called, you know, there's a book called... Uh, Men are from Mars and women are from Venus. John Gray, right? Yeah. Um, That one, there's another book. It's something like uh, trying to... I mean, it really probably should have been titled Men are from Earth, Women are from Venus or something like that. Oh, is that it? Okay, okay. I got got it. Well, we can start there, Rafa. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, that was a little joke (laughs) you just did. So, uh, Love and Respect. (laughs) This is a book. Uh, here's the subtitle: "The Love She Most Desires, the Respect He Desperately Needs." Oh, That's right. a real title of a book. You know, I believe it. I know a lot. Of, I know a lot of guys who feel like they don't get no respect. <laughs> right, and you know, according to this book, he desperately needs that. Right, right. In order for the relationship to be fulfilled, and you know, according to this book, uh, you know, she lo- most desires love. Right, he most right. desires respect. Right. Um, And so that's what I would say is one of those scripts, right, that we've developed around what a relationship is to be. Um, 
So when I consider this, I often think of it, and I'll explain it to couples like this sometimes, they've gotten into a relationship with the relationship instead of with each other. They've gotten into a relationship with the relationship. With the relationship. So instead of relating on a one-to-one, they're relating on this top tier of what the relationship is, right? So she comes in and says things like, you know, I just really want him to talk to me more. He's not talking to me. Um, You know, I thought when we got married, he's going to be my best friend. And he's not my best friend. He's, you know, hanging out with other people mostly and he's not talking to me enough. Could be a relationship problem, right? Or he could say, you know, um, I always thought that when we got into this relationship, I would have sex all the time. And we're not having sex all the time. She doesn't want as much as me. Maybe she just wants it once a week, whatever. Um, And so there's a need. There's a a need that he has felt that he should have be getting and it's not it's not happening it's not it's not being fulfilled right Raphael it's not being fulfilled so it's this understanding of how the relationship is supposed to work so they start relating to the relationship you know this is what a relationship is I'm not getting it I don't like this this is not what I signed up for right so it's like they have a reference point and it's like that cultural they're like a, a the cultural idea of the relationship that's the reference point yeah that's the reference point And they start becoming disappointed around that reference point. And instead of connecting to each other, they start connecting to this reference point. And there's disappointments abound. Can you imagine? Sure. Yeah. It's all of what the expectations were that aren't being met. And they start to say, you know, this relationship is not working. This relationship is not fulfilling. I say, and the way that they know that it's not working is because they're referring back to the reference point. They could refer, it sounds like you're saying, they could, in theory, just refer to the other person. Right. But instead, they keep looking back at the uh, at the map. Right. Uh, saying, well, it's like they're looking at the box. Uh, like, like you get some uh, instructions at Ikea. It was like, this doesn't look like the thing. Right, right, right. Exactly. Is that, that kind of like how, how it works? <laughs> Yeah, especially beds. Beds at IKEA are just the worst to put together. Yes, right. that that is true. Like, yeah. Um, and so you know, here we go. Two people are focused on the relationship or the rules of the relationship, rather than the person who whom they're connecting. And this, I find, often leads to an undoing of the partnership. Um, and it makes it difficult to relate to each other. Sure. So whatever this kind of, this diagram, this Ikea diagram or map or blueprint, whatever it is that people have, this reference point, is it, I mean, do they get it from their parents or is it the church? Like, where does this blueprint come from? Hmm, Good question. I may think it's all of that. You know, I think it is probably the way that we've set up the institution of marriage. There's a blueprint there. Um, I do think some of it is related to kind of a... um, maybe a a religious ethic of what it's supposed to look like. And certainly we get it from our parents. And, you know, there's this kind of deeper place, too, that we um, work out of of what we've seen modeled before us. You know, I mean, there's there are times it's funny where people will, you know, come in and, you know, say something that they'd always expected would happen in the relationship. Like, I, you know, this is going to be a weird example, but 
actually is a real example from a long, long time ago. I guess I expected him every morning to like make me oatmeal when I woke up and I'd eat it and go to work and it would be this really beautiful expression of love, right? You thought that was funny. Yeah. <laughs> then, then when the oatmeal is not there, he's like, what is this relationship? She's like, what is this My whole life I wanted oatmeal. But here's the interesting part. I finally get proposed to. It's a wedding ring. It's no oatmeal. Yeah, what good is a wedding ring without the oatmeal, right? right? Um, but it turns out, and you know, it was such like what you just did. It was preposterous. I mean, of course I didn't laugh. I'm in a session. But I knew there had to be something to this bowl of oatmeal. What the? <laughs> and so I started digging. Turns out, and this wasn't even kind of known to each other, you know, until we made it, you know, brought up the unconscious to the consciousness. It's what her dad did for her, her mom. This is like the way that she grew up seeing this. This was a form of love, an express form of love. It was an expression of love. And she hadn't really considered that it was something that she carried over. It didn't mean that her partner loved her right. any less. It's just something she had held on to as this should be my expression here. Right. So that particular example seems a little idiosyncratic, or maybe I should say seems a little quirky. Yeah. Well, uh, I used it because it's, it's such a big thing. Right. If, if I were trying to get like a rough sketch of, of what the general sort of outline might look for people, uh, both for me and, and for the listeners, it, 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 and maybe you can do this, maybe you can't, but is there like a rough idea we can get of what that kind of blueprint looks like? Mm-hmm. I think it is an expectation of what needs are going to be met by the other. Um, people come with a bundle of needs and, and whatever the desires that they've had when they enter into marriage, that this is where I'm going to get fulfilled. Right. It's that blueprint. Um, but isn't that where, where our needs get met in marriage? Uh, no. <laughs> in fact, uh, I think, you know, there's a lot of really good things around marriage and partnering. Um, of course, you know, we have to get companionship. We get... Um, you know, love, we get ways to grow, we get, you know, connection. But I I actually think that what happens when we start to partner is that fulfillment that we're looking for is getting need, the needs may get met less in that area of fulfillment, Hmm. because they're looking for somebody else to meet those needs that they haven't really discovered that they probably need to be meeting for themselves. So you're saying that they need to meet their own needs? Yeah, and I'm not saying that relationships don't have a place of met need. You know, I think that there's sacrifice and care, but I'm talking about often the disappointment on our relationships are around what we thought we would get from the other person without examining that which we um, have, that there's this missing place in us. Gotcha. Um, and that will never be met from another individual. Gotcha. So it seemed like you're kind of preempted because I, I was wondering why. I mean, I understand the notion that um, that maybe they're not going to meet all of our needs. Um, but is I mean, is it bad to go into a relationship with these with this blueprint or like how does that work against us? I wouldn't say it's bad. I mean, you know, I don't know that I would put a value judgment, good or bad. I think it works against us because it puts unfair expectations on the other person. I don't know if that's what it is, unfair. I don't know if it's fair or not fair. But it it is setting up this relationship for not always disaster, but a lot of hardship that 
maybe doesn't even have to be there. Right. Which is kind of interesting. I mean, you could have this relationship where you're just appreciating each other and not demanding from one another. So if we bring all these expectations to the relationship and you're saying that it's better to just appreciate each other and not have all these demands, then, you know, how, how do you feel about the, I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase, it was happy, happy wife, happy life. Oh yeah, I've heard that phrase. I don't know where I was. I think I was in a, a meeting for a radio show that we were trying to get off the ground and one of the, the elder brothers, he said something like, happy wife, happy life, right? And I just looked at him and I was like, what? Like, I'd never heard it. Hmm. Uh, he's like, you know, happy wife, happy life. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what is that? And explain the, for, for those of you who didn't know, like I didn't know, um, I suppose many of you do. Um, but he was essentially saying that uh, if you want your, your life to be easy, make sure your wife is happy and you don't rock the boat, essentially. Mm-hmm. And you won't have any static, right? That, mm-hmm. that's, the, that's the easy path. That's when the winds are are blowing and sails are up. Uh, And for me, it felt like, uh, so while it's true, and you may be able to glean this from my personality that I like, uh, I'm okay with confrontation. Mm -hmm. Um, First you like and now you're okay. I'm okay with confrontation. Um, There there seems to me, you know, if the thing, if your strategy is to just appease, Mm -hmm. is to be a pleaser, Mm Uh, and make sure you don't rock the boat, then you know, isn't there a danger of, uh, of kind of missing out some truth or of doing some hard work and really kind of, uh, you know, whatever the unhappiness might be, right? Whatever the rocking in the boat might be, do you ever get to the heart of the matter? Do you get to the truth of the matter if all you're doing is putting a veneer of, uh, of um, acquiescence over it, right? Mm-hmm. So let me dial that down a little bit if the only thing you're doing is saying yes dear appeasing right mm-hmm. uh yes dear then do you really get to the to the heart of the matter i feel the same way about the honeydew list maybe not as strongly but mm-hmm. how do you feel about this happy happy wife happy life notion this idea well i agree with you and i mean first off i mean i think that people say it you know maybe as a little tongue-in-cheek but it's as if the wife is someone to be handled, right? It's kind of, it's almost somewhat objectifying. It's like, if I can appease this object in my life mm. that doesn't cause me problems, you know, then my life is good. So it's kind of takes away even, you know, the, all the facets and complexity of, right. of the person. She gets reduced with. to this, this yeah, kind just of an object. tyrant. Let's, let's do this, yeah. Right. Let's make my life easier by, you know, not stirring the beast almost, right? Well, I didn't even think of it that way. Yeah. <laughs> So I don't like it for that reason, but I think also, um, in accordance with what you said, absolutely. I'd say often, often. I mean, my clients hear this so many times, um, is that if relationships and intimacy do anything, it is that if we, if we really trust that what we're do that we're doing something together, it's that of growth. Um, it helps us grow. And I'll tell you why I believe that to the core of, of my, this, you know, this theory is that because of an early attachment, you know, we've learned and organized around a particular way of attaching through, you know, our, our primary caregivers and however they've attached is kind of how we organize around connection. However, they did or did not attach is organized around connection. Um, and 
you know, there's this, uh, there's this saying that it's a, I think it was, I should look it up, Winnicott. It's the, uh, the good enough mother. The good enough mother is good enough, right? Can't be perfect. Nobody is. So the good enough mother sets up enough for, you know, the kid to thrive and grow and be somewhat stable. Most of us, a lot of us, not most of us, a lot of us had the good enough mother. You know, we're functioning, we're okay. But there's still um, things that have happened that haven't been repaired. And oftentimes... Things that happen like... And during connection, like maybe you were ignored. Maybe um, you didn't really know how loved you were. Maybe the mom or the caretaker gets depressed and checks out of their life oh, for six I see. months. I got you. So there, there are these things that enter in and our development that leave us with an understanding of we're disconnected. We need to get back to connection because that's the safety. We have to be connected in order to survive um, as a species. We, I mean, we raise our young for 18 years you know we're crazy we do this for 18 years right can't see where i have in life (laughs) some for longer than that but you know (laughs) exactly so um you know in in intimacy and partnering oftentimes we're living out that breach um and we're living it out by whatever our our partner does what's the breach the breach is the disconnection you know maybe the depression for six months or not knowing if you're loved So um, we live that out by not, we don't realize it, it's unconscious, the ways that we're trying to get those needs met, but we're usually using the, um, the intimate other. That's the primary adult attachment, if we're in one. And other times you can use their other ways, you know, friends or whatever. Mm. But in intimacy, we're usually going at this in an unconscious way to say, I need to repair this. I got to get back on track in terms of connection. Um, so when you were saying something like happy wife, happy life, and it puts a veneer of appeasement on it, then you're right. You don't get to work at these hard things that um, would create so much growth and movement in your right. own life. And it's not just so you can relate better to each other. It's so that you can be a more full person, a more full human being. Yeah, you know, this idea of be, becoming a, a full human being, in some ways that, that lies exactly on the other side of discomfort uh, and sometimes on the other side of, of pain. So, yeah, you know, kind of working through uh, and doing the hard work of whether it's in a relationship or just period. I can't even tell you how many times I try to get people to really embrace the thing that makes them uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a guy who I like named Aubrey Marcus. He says, like, you're, you're good as you are. Mm-hmm. But you could be better, mm-hmm. right? And getting better and becoming like a fuller version of you, uh, really like trying not to leave that potential on the table, but really kind of leaning in and saying, who, who could I be? Yeah. Um, that's all the discomfort, right? you right. you got to push through that. It's because, um, you know, what's your life if you don't push through the discomfort? That's right. Um, there's a guy that I like, uh, Michael Singer. And he says, uh, we all have these walls around us, right? Uh, these walls that kind of keep us in place. And they're not real. They're not mm-hmm. physical walls. Um, and yet they exist only in our mind. And they are a wall. You know, it's a wall nonetheless. And he, he says, if you ever doubt that you have walls, just walk toward one. You know, something that you are kind of afraid to mm-hmm, do. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you're like, oh, I would never do that. Just mm-hmm. walk toward that. Mm-hmm. 
and you will see how real that that That's wall very, is yeah. like kind of in your mind and um it, it's it's kind of phenomenal you know so other than this diagram or this blueprint that we use as as a reference point what are the some of the other things that you've seen that that kind of stand in the way of, of people doing the relationship um as well as they could be doing there's another thing that I think that comes up often um, is when, I'm just going to explain it like this, when people are on different pages, or let me say this, they're, they're, they have different characterological makeups. One person might be very affectionate and need a lot of attention or want a lot of attention and time. And the other person may be more um, internal and needs some space and needs some separateness. Like an introvert, extrovert kind of deal? Yeah, that could be, that could be an example, an introvert, extrovert. Um, and one of the other people feel as if um, the other person isn't loving them because their experience of the way that they love is different. And they kind of, they take it personally. Oh, they say, right. this is, you're not doing this thing. And so you don't really care about me. Right. Um, when instead of seeing them, that other person as the significant, unique set of um, characterological traits that make up that person and seeing well, them for What's this word that you're saying? Oh, characterological. And what does that mean? So there's... um. There's this book out there, uh, uh, Stephen Johnson's uh, book called Character Styles. And it, it basically is um, the primary ways of which people present themselves. Um, for example, some people may um, want to be seen as really, really important and that everybody would love them when they walk into a room. I definitely know some people like that. <laughs> There's also people that might see, you know, kind of life is their stage and they're always performing and getting, you know, validation that way. Right. Or some people who, you know, feel like if they don't have another person deeply attached to them that they're alone in the world. That's another gotcha. example. So it is part of the personality. It kind of drives the personality. So, you know, people have these different character styles and... One person may be a particular way, of course. Another will be a different way. And oftentimes there's an impasse around um, how the other person isn't meeting their needs, but, but it's mostly just because they're so different. Mm. Um, so I'm often saying, you know, you, you know, it's that old saying, if, if you marry a tiger and you want a zebra, you can't, that's not going to work out. <laughs> I've never heard that, but that's hilarious. <laughs> or insert any animal, right? right? You married a tiger or you're with a tiger, you're partnering with a tiger and you're saying, no, but I, I really want him to be or her to be a zebra. And you're like, but they're not. Right. They're a tiger. Tiger's a tiger. Tiger's a tiger. So oftentimes that's where we end up with this is that, oh, I see you're trying to make them into something that you desire but that's not, right. you know, this person isn't that. I don't, else. I don't know that you chose tiger. I don't know that you know this about me, but tiger is my spirit animal. Tiger's so I'm just saying, animal. I smile when you said tiger. So you definitely are not going to be a zebra. Correct. Particularly if Correct. zebra's not your spirit Correct. animal. <laughs> anyway, but no, I get your point. Animal is. I don't know you don't know your is. spirit animal? No, I don't. I don't. I don't know it. Anyway, no, I don't know. I, I wouldn't mind being a zebra. I don't know. No, that's not true. I have to think about that. That'll be a later show. I, I tell you what, this, this is completely off topic. I used to think everyone like wanted to be like. I used to think a tiger was like the best, right? Like you can't not like love tigers. 
Um, and then, uh, and then I asked someone, this is one of my old jobs, like what their spirit animal was or what kind of animal they, they really liked. Uh, and they said an egret. An egret? Yeah. Like the bird. Yeah. And I was like, what? <laughs> like you, you're choosing the egret as your animal? Over the tiger? Right. And then I was just like, oh, I guess people have, yeah, everybody's different. Yeah. And then yeah. It, it wouldn't be called a spirit animal. It would be called a spirit tiger. We'd all be spirit tigers. <laughs> right. Which I'd be fine with. <laughs> but yeah, like, all the options. May, maybe somebody has a koala as, uh, as you know. Koala's anyway, a Yeah. Um, I don't even know how to get back to I'm not sure either. So between the, this uh, this this kind of reference point, this blueprint or map or whatever you want to call it, or just having these kind of different character personality traits or whatever, um, if people find that their relationship is not doing super well, what what steps can they take? What can they do about it? Hmm. That's a great question. Um, you know, everybody's a little different, unique to each partnership. Um, but I think, you know, one of the things to start with is this blueprint idea. Challenge your assumptions about how relationships work. You know, I have, you know, I've talked to people before that um, start to feel insecure about their relationship because there's an onlooker, maybe a, a well-intentioned good friend that's saying something like, oh my gosh, he hasn't told you he loved you yet and it's been a year? What's wrong right. with you? You should get out of that. Right. Or you haven't met his family yet? Or he's not, right. you know, giving you a ring? Or she's not, you know... She's not introducing you to her coworkers. This is all wrong. Oh, right. That's all very real. Right. So, and it starts to create tension in the relationship. You know, I've had people ask me, should I be concerned? You know, I'll turn it around on them. Do you think you should be concerned? Right. Right. Oh. And oftentimes, not all the time, but sometimes it's like, well, no, I mean, I feel we're really connected. We have a great time. We're doing well and oftentimes i'll hear they're doing well but people are trying to balance this thing in the future too they're like kind of know um there, there's at least one you know when i was at nyu I, I was i was crossing the street i was in west village uh and there were these two dyed blonde women um these two, what did you say dyed dyed hair, blonde. Hair, two, hair two dyed. fake blondes right two fake blondes these two fake blondes were crossing the street right in front of me Whoops. and um and I remember listening, uh, whatever, I could not hear their conversation. Okay. Um, and it, it, the one woman was advising the other woman to ditch a date that she had been on recently. It was mm -hmm. date number two. Date number two. And uh, I guess marriage got brought up. And he wasn't ready to talk about marriage on date number two. Ah, that makes sense. But it's New York City, mm. right? And they were past a certain age, mm -hmm. right? And New York is a wild, like... So I didn't realize... There were a couple of things that, were, that, that I noticed when I was in New York um, that it's it's a wild place for courting, right? Mm. Um, wild as in, like... Wild as in you have so many uh, female executives who are pursuing their, their careers. You have so many uh, like fashion models. Um, you have so many male executives who are, are pursuing their career. Uh, I, I feel like the male model is less of a, of a force in that, in that kind of equation. Um, but the marketplace for other people... It's all it's all out of whack in New York. So there there are um, really kind of like 
you, you see it enough. There are older guys who like might actually have billions of dollars who might go for like a young model because he has a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, like Donald Trump, right? <laughs> there you go. That's exactly a really good New York example. Uh, but yeah, you see it enough. And then, um, you know, if, if there's a woman who has spent... Uh, you know, her career kind of, be, you know, getting to the top of her career and now she has hit 40, then there's a particular kind of crisis because she's not only competing with other 40 year olds, she certainly doesn't want to marry down. Right. She doesn't want to get um, a husband who has a lower status. So she's looking across her, her own status and up. Uh, but there's competition amongst other uh, in that market. There's competition amongst other uh, women who are uh, who are at that status. Mm hmm. But she's also competing in in a, I think in a kind of real tangible way. She's competing with models who are like maybe twenty years or junior as well, mm-hmm. um, and it's a very very odd. So you know, and, and men seem like they have a, a you know a different kind of difficulty. But uh, just observing the conversations and the people and what they talked about. Um, and how their their kind of dating life played out. This is in Manhattan, right? Right. So it feels like it might be different in Queens or the Bronx or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the entire you know mating and, and coupling market in, in Manhattan is like super bizarre. Well, that shows Sex in the City that was based on that whole. So exactly right. You know, for me, Sex in the City just felt like a TV show. Yeah. Until I started like hearing like these real conversations, like this one woman who was saying, if he's not ready to talk about marriage on the second date dump them mm-hmm. that was her advice it was like get rid of them and i was like really and i was <laughs> You're like in the back on what what are you doing i was like this sex in the city thing is real like they're living <laughs> this out um and i was stunned but it's a real thing yes yes um yeah. at, any, at any rate yeah so to my point you know there is this you know maybe well-intentioned blueprint that you're being fed by friends and family that says it's supposed to look this particular way and if it doesn't you need to go Mm. Um, and there's a kind of a popular idea too like you know don't let him treat you any old way right you know get out what are you doing yeah it's it's like kind of strong woman thing in some ways and i don't mean to belittle that because there are definitely times when a woman needs to get out right um but this kind of talk you know he he better pony up and this talk about marriage right. a second date or you need to you know Crazy. kick him to the curb um and i think it, squ- it squashes like opportunities for connection the other thing is that kind of there are those unconventional relationships out there that don't look like everybody's you know i have good friends who um he travels probably you know more than three weeks a month they've been married for I don't know, 25, 26 years. They're doing great. Yeah, it sounds like it's working. Totally works for them. But there are people that would be the naysayers. What are they doing? Why wouldn't they spend their time together? You know, there's your blueprint, right? And for them, they've worked it all out. They're good. Um, People who have, you know, separate friends uh, from each other. And they go out with those friends and then maybe hang out and talk together. But that doesn't ever mix. And for someone to see it and say, well, that's pathological. What are you doing? Kind of then, again, it gives this impression that there's some particular blueprint right. and you're supposed to follow it. And if you're not, then you're in a air quote, bad relationship. So it's either, I got you. So some people are relating to the, to the, to the blueprint itself and other people are just going to figure out what's going to work for us. That's right. That's right. 
So what what should people do? Did you already say what what should people do? Well, so, you know, one of the things that you should do um, is ditch the blueprint, even if it's from well-meaning people in your life. I mean, you can hear advice and maybe sometimes you need to take it, but um, check yourself, you know, see what you're doing here in this relationship. Um, If it's not fitting somebody else's idea of how this is supposed to be, but you're doing well, you're probably okay. Dear listeners, I don't know how it is that you navigate your relationships, but if you've stumbled onto something that really works for you that is maybe unconventional or outside of the blueprint or have uh, an anecdote that you would like to share about something that is interesting or uh, that has kind of worked for you, uh, let us know. Certainly reach out uh, to us at Heterodox Americana, either on Facebook or on the website. We'd love to hear your stories. And, uh, you know, if you like what you heard, uh, share it with your friends. Let let people know that we're out there. Yeah, or you could even share your spirit animal. Share. <laughs> That's right. Shit, mine is a tiger. <laughs> Definitely yours is a tiger. And she hasn't figured out her, her spirit animal yet. Out. But yeah, we'd, we'd also like to know what is your spirit animal. So let us know, a heterodox Americana. Uh, thanks for, for tuning in. Thank you. See ya.